Now it's time for Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf, the number one relationship advice radio show in the U.S. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ask Dr. Love. Wait to hear what I've got for you today. If you struggle with mood problems, you may not realize that your shitty mood could actually be caused by a microbiome imbalance. Current research shows a correlation between mood and our microbiome. That's the dynamic world of bacteria, fungus, and viruses that comprises more than 50% of our mortal cells. Our internal microbes have a big influence on how we feel. They can make us feel grumpy and shitty or make us wound up with anxiety and hyperactivity, as in the case of ADHD. And these bugs can even motivate us to eat comfort foods that make us gain weight. The bad microbes can produce excessive acids that eat away at the bowel mucosal lining, which creates gaps and leaky gut syndrome or intestinal permeability. And then toxins can escape the bowel into the inside of our bodies, causing more havoc and inflammation anywhere, including the uterine lining, bladder, kidneys, heart, brain, and skin, you name it. Inflammation starts in the gut and it can land anywhere. So when we have some kind of inflammation, the last thing we feel is happy and energetic. We feel miserable and shitty. And of course, bad mood pervades those dealing with pain and inflammation. So to heal, we need to work two ends toward the middle by reducing stress, increasing rest and quality nutrients, and also stamping out the offending microbes. But rather than resorting to a chemical pesticide, like an antibiotic, that kills all the microbes and sterilizes the gut, a better way is pollinating with other beneficial bacteria so they can fight the good war in the gut and win for us. And the fastest way to get that new garden planted is to replace the whole microbiome with a healthy donor's diverse microbiome otherwise known as a fecal transplant. From constipation to cancer, heart disease, obesity, autism, Alzheimer's, and more, you're going to find out why therapies, why may not be working for many people. And you're going to learn about the latest microbiome research showing how fecal transplants may be the basis for future advances in health and wellness, and a part of the solution for many people with shitty moods and crappy health. So I want you to meet Dr. Sabine Hazan. She's a physician, CEO of Progenobiome and Ventura Clinical Trials. She's the co-founder of Topelia Therapeutics, an expert on the gut flora microbiome, a cutting-edge medical researcher, writer, editor, world-renowned speaker, published author of Let's Talk Shit and the other book, Regenesis. As the first woman accepted into the University of Florida as a clinical gastroenterology fellow, Dr. Hazan is a pioneer in the medical field. She's published articles in numerous prestigious medical journals, and she's the series editor on the microbiome for practical gastroenterology, a peer-reviewed journal that reaches 18,000 gastroenterologists. She's also a speaker for the World Congress of Digestive Disease, MAGI, Microbiome Congress, International Drug Discovery Science and Technology Conference, and NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. And as a specialist in gastroenterology, internal medicine, and hepatology, she's used her expertise, expertise in many regards over the last two decades. She's also the CEO of Ventura Clinical Trials, where she has 20 plus years experience leading clinical trials for cutting edge research on various medical issues. And she's done over 300 clinical trials for pharmaceutical companies. Since March, 2020, she's been at the forefront of COVID-19 research, leading ongoing FDA approved clinical trials for treatment and prophylaxis on hydroxychloroquine, ZPAC, 
vitamin C, D, zinc, and IVM, which is intravital microscopy. She's also the founder and CEO of Progenobiome, a genetic sequencing research laboratory where she leads 35 plus studies investigating the role of the gut flora in various diseases. And through their study exploring the role of the gut flora in COVID-19, Progenobiome became the first lab worldwide to detect both SARS-CoV-2 from patient fecal samples by whole genome sequencing, as well as a susceptibility marker for COVID in the microbiome. She is mastering familial fecal transplant, transplant right now, showing hope for kids with autism. And as she says, the microbiome tells the story. So without further ado, welcome, Dr. Hazan. Thank you. And thank you for having me. I'm so uh, glad to I, have uh, Quick correction. It was IVM ivermectin. I, oh, IV, IVM is short for ivermectin. Okay. Yes. Yes. IVM. Gotcha. Thank you. Yes. So many, so many initials mean so many things, right? Yes. Okay, so let's jump right in because I know your co-author in um, this book that I just mentioned um, is written with Dr. Barodi. So, how did the two of you come to write this book together? You know, your background. You know, we, yeah, yeah. So he's really the father of fecal transplant. He's the person that kind of guided us. You know, fecal transplant is a procedure that was done in the fifth century China uh, for uh, the Chinese. We're calling it the yellow soup. Um, then, then from 5th century to 1958, Dr. Einsman started using it for pseudomembranous colitis, which is the, you know, C. diff, Clostridium difficile. He did two enemas, and then next thing you know, he showed improvement. From there, you know, Dr. Brody took it on to the next level to say, is there something else that, can, that it can improve? And I think as most of us were doing fecal transplant more and more, you know, I was following the work of my friends, you know, Dr. Colleen Kelly, Dr. Neil Stolman, Alex Garutz, uh, Jessica Allegretti, uh, Zane Kassam, so many doctors, uh, Paul Fierstad, uh, you know, Sahil Khanas, so many doctors were playing with poop, really, and, and doing fecal transplant. And I think all of us, you know, I was more on the private sector. I was doing it for my patients that, you know, uh, had C. diff and wanted someone that's close to their family as a donor. Um, there was a big push of starting a fecal bank by the medical community and the GI. And so fecal bank, you know, became an IND, became uh, the first pill to be approved by the FDA um, in November. Um, so we are heading in the right direction of looking at the microbiome. But I just want to caution everyone that we have to proceed carefully and not make all these claims because the problem is, we all have a gut feeling and a gut instinct that it's in our guts, but we really don't have, you know, proper research, uh, clinical research that really demonstrates these microbes at work. You know, all research is really a hypothesis of someone that's taking on the path, right? So, you know, when Dr. Barodi started doing it and he saw a couple of cases of Crohn's improving, and then a couple became, you know, 40 patients. And then I started seeing in a couple of patients with Crohn's and then so who had C. diff. You know, we started asking the question, is there something else? Is, is it microbiome related, right? That your mood, because we started seeing, well, if I'm transplanting stools from a healthy, happy donor, my patient is suicidal, is no longer, you know, miserable and is actually happy. So, of course, these are one, two cases that in a way I feel is kind of like a, a small light, a small door opening 
to see the future, you know, all you need, you know, Dr. Barodi always says, all you need is one Martian to prove that there's life on Mars. Oh, that's excellent. So, you know, you, you see one case and that one case opens a whole world. You know, I saw that there was research linking C. diff with the suppression of dopamine and low dopamine we know induces depression. So I did see some NIH research indicating that. There's a lot of research. There's a lot of, you know, people that are looking at the microbiome. There's a lot of labs out there. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of, um, you know, research on fecal transplants. Some, are, you know, if you look at the studies of uh, the case reports of Dr. Colleen Kelly, she had two cases of alopecia areata and they grew hair, right? But then nobody's been able to reproduce that, right? And vice versa, Dr. Barodi did fecal transplant on Crohn's disease, but then nobody's been able to reproduce that, right? So we are really at the beginning, except me, really. I had two cases uh, at the beginning, and then I started looking into the whole microbiome and then went on to di a different tangent, right, of like, let's identify what are the bugs in Crohn's, right? But when you, it's not that straightforward, right? And I'll tell you why, because when you look at one bug and you say, oh, this is the bug for Crohn's disease, then you find that bug in someone else that's healthy and you go, wait a minute, that bug is, I found it in people with Crohn's, but now it's healthy. So am I seeing a bug that's reproducing? Am I seeing a dead bug? Because remember, when we look at genetic sequencing, it's, you know, dead bacteria or live bacteria, right? So, right. you know, that's the complexity. And then is that microbe in one race and not in another? Is that microbe causing the disease in one race and not another? And then, and then I was just thinking about diversity because supposedly the more diverse the microbiome, yes. the healthier you are. So if you find this one bug, but it's in the garden with a lot of other diverse bugs that hold it in check, do you, I'm sure you're looking at that too, right? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, again, diversity, diversity in children is not as diverse as in adults, right? So when we talk, so that's why it's so important in the microbiome to, yes, diversity is, you know, you've got a lot of microbes, but I've seen a lot of people with disease that have the, a lot of diversity. So what is going on there, right? So you, all we can do at this stage is say, in the majority of patients, we see diversity is a good thing, maybe, but maybe it's not about diversity. Maybe it's about the right bugs for that person. Maybe it's about the right balance. And, right. So, and even when you listen to me, you know, through my talks and from the beginning to now, you're going to see even a change in the narrative a little bit because I try to stay a balanced scientist, right? I try to ask the questions constantly and I, I'm controversial within myself, right? One day I'll say, this is it. And then the next day I'll say, no, this is not it. This is that. But that's really the hallmark of a good researcher, that you come in with an open mind. I mean, that is awesome. You have to be that way. You have to be, and you have to accept that. Every, see all these books in the background? You have to, yeah. have to start with everybody's wrong, right? But there Which is, is one thing, thing to do. You said that you found that specifically low bifidobacteria and a dominance of C. diff, and that you also found low bifido was associated with associated with COVID, and you said the elderly elderly have low bifido. 
Yeah, so we haven't published yet on C. diff and, and low biff. Uh, we're going to be publishing, so I'm not going to really talk about it until right. reviewed and published. But All right. we published on COVID. So COVID was really that, you know, light in the darkness of the tunnel where, you know, I felt it was an opportunity to see the microbiome, right? Because everybody was focusing on vaccine, vaccine, treatment, treatment. Nobody was really looking at the diagnostic. Where is it coming from? Where is it? Where is it hiding? Where is it lasting? And what is the microbiome doing? So we were the first lab to find it in, in, the, in stools, whole genome sequencing, not just a small segment. And I'm going to call this virus a sequence because everybody's, you know, gone after me and said, it's not a virus. It's not been isolated, all these questions. So I'm going to stay non-controversial as much as I can and say we isolated a sequence that had, you know, a bunch of regions, right? And that region was, we saw it thousands of times in people that had positive nasal swaps, but also people that had, um, that were asymptomatic. And also a young girl at the beginning of the pandemic that had Tourette's was exposed to her parents who had COVID six months prior. Turns out she had COVID in her stools for six months. We found COVID, we treated COVID, we refluoralized, changed her microbiome, and her Tourette's is gone. That's one case. Did you refluoralize with the fecal implant? No, we basically worked with nutraceuticals. So remember, fecal, you know, fecal transplant is not approved. It's only approved for Clostridium difficile. And so that's and recurrent Clostridium difficile. So if you have one Clostridium difficile, it's not going to work. You have to have recurrency. Okay, so you, you use nutraceuticals, like as in probiotics, but I read you said somewhere that probiotics can make things worse. So we've noticed that in some people that were taking probiotics, they had zero bifidobacteria. So which came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Did the probiotic kill the, their ability to make bifidobacteria? So in other words, it's like taking pancreatic enzymes it's like taking laxatives and all of a sudden your colon doesn't need to work, right? Because you're making your body used to it, right? So are you taking on probiotics and not letting your body make its own? That's the one question that I have, because again, it's research. Or is it that the probiotic is not good quality and therefore doesn't implant? There's or so many variables. That the probiotic doesn't make it to the colon and just stays in the small bowel and the enteric coated ones supposedly only uh open up in the bowel but i mean and, and here's the other big thing with the bowel which is what we're starting to tap into with the research okay the other big thing is are we um you know are we seeing the microbiome is different in every region it's different in the nose in the mouth in the small bowel in the colon in the rectum, so different regions of the colon. So when we see these pictures, these strains, this identification of microbes, is it, what are we seeing? Are we seeing the waste? And therefore it's not really a core, uh, a good picture of the cecum or a good picture of the small bowel. So this is just the beginning. It's the beginning of science. It's exciting. It's, you know, it gives hope to people. We really have to be cautious because a lot of people are jumping and they're ordering these stool tests and they're coming to the doctors and saying, 
look, I've got all these microbes. And the doctor has no idea. It's not because the doctor doesn't know or it's because we're not there yet in medicine. You know, yeah. medicine is very slow. It's the science has to be done. It has to be valid, verified, reproducible. Yeah. Multiple people have to reproduce the same data. Think about my bifidobacteria data, right? My bifidobacteria data was actually rep was reproduced in China, in Italy, in France. So different other people showed that people with severe COVID had loss of bifidobacteria. But you don't know about causality. Was it the low bifido that predisposed them to COVID or did the COVID lower the bifido? Do you have you established? So here's the thing, right? It's the chicken or the egg. We right? don't know. But here's the thing. If the chicken or the egg is dead, it doesn't matter which came first, right? They're dead. <laughs> They're dead. So you have to basically look at the dead chicken and say, what the hell caused this, right? So, you know, I, I think that's, and it's funny because someone came to my poster this weekend and asked me that question. Is it the chicken or the egg? And I said, I don't know. I all, it's all hypo hypothetical, right? Right. At this point. So, and, but we see something, we have to pay attention to it. Right. So now another thing I read you said was that you really can't alter the microbiome you were planted with at birth. Diet alone can't change that. So you can't choke out the bad bugs or the dysbiosis by just repopulating the gut with good bugs, like as in a raw milk fast. But use a poor diet can cause dysbiosis. So your diet can affect it to the negative end of the spectrum, but you can't necessarily fix it with right. diet. And you have to be careful that when I talk, it's like my hypothesis coming out. And sometimes like I come out and I say things that are my belief, my gut right. instinct. Um, you know, a lot of research needs to be done on all this. You know, okay. a lot of research needs to be done on is diet affecting, is diet, you know, we, we know some people have done things, you know, like antibiotics, for example, right? You take antibiotics for strep pneumonia, it's improving your strep pneumonia, but then it kills the rest of the microbes. But look, I'm the queen of the antibiotics. I told you I was born three months early and I weighed two pounds at birth and I lived the first 10 years of my life on broad spectrum antibiotics. It's amazing I'm, I'm still here, but I mean, I've had problems my whole life and I can tell you that, you know, even though I've read all the stuff about how you can repopulate, you know, the gut with, um, you know, all kinds of things like the, you know, the um, sodium butyrates and the, and so on and so on. I have found that nothing I do makes much of a difference. And, and here's the, that's a big, uh, that's a very big realization, right? So is, can we really alter our diet enough to change our microbiome. I mean, that's a million no, dollars. I mean, I've done extremes. I'm talking, sure. I'm going to raise Ackermansia. I'm going to take the lacto-fermented. I, right. you know, I mean, the, the short chain fatty acids, the sodium butyrates, the uh, the zinc carnosine. I mean, I've done the everything, you know, and uh, like I think what happens is a lot of times people are doing something and, and it's increasing but then they switch because they don't see improvement. And they oh, that's interesting. Else. And that's what we see with, you know, that's what I, I, I noticed. Like, for example, if you look at autism, right? So Dr. Adams did a brilliant study on autism where he did fecal transplant and uh, on kids. And there was a, a, a regression of neurological, pro neurolo the, their neurological symptoms regressed, right? So improvement of their neurological symptoms. But it didn't happen within the first month or two. 
it really, you start noticing it within a year or two yeah. years. And so you so just have to stick. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a doctor who took a protocol and he kind of followed that protocol, right? The whole length and those patients followed. What happens too often with autism, what we see is they jump ship. They go from one doctor, they do uh, one thing, and then they see a little bit of thing, but then they go to another and another. Right, and so right, what right. you probably did for you is something may have been working, but you didn't stick to it long. Well, the fact is I've stuck for years. I just do it because I believe, you know, I just never stopped. But oh, okay, good, good. Yeah, yeah but, I never but that's a good, so can you regrow a tree that you've removed with, you know, diet? I don't think so. You know, you, you have to think of these microbes like plants that are- I mean, if you're like talking about like a napalm palm bomb and, you know, it's like, you know, really, what are right. you going to grow? But we do know that we can do rapid harm to the microbiome from excess alcohol and the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, the steroids, the sugar, the stress, you know, acidosis that tears up the microbiome from stress. I mean, we know these things can really alter it for the worse. But what about... Um, the environmental toxins and pesticides, uh, like the glyphosate, Roundup residue. I mean, I think it does. You know, we've certainly seen, you know, people that are that are looking into that and a lot of data on it. You know, I personally think it does. You're killing microbes. You know, I think we're over sterilizing. We're overdoing it. We're over killing. You look at immigrants from other countries that come from Africa and they come to America. I was just a digestive disease week. And there was a great lecture talking about the whole dewarming process, right? Right. When we dewarm these people that are coming from Africa with their perfect microbiome that's full of diversity and full of microbes. Yeah. And we give them medicines to kill that. Are we not killing their microbiome that is right. part of right. their genetics and right. their race right. and everything? The French, so the French make fun of the Americans with we're, we're so obsessed with the hand washing. And you know, you know, in previous cultures, people were in the dirt. They got the homeostatic soil organisms and they put them into their body and they were repopulating it. All right, well, you know, I don't even want to take a break because you're so fascinating and knowledgeable, but I will be back in a moment. Are you a business looking to expand across the USA? Ask Dr. Love reaches millions of radio listeners, offering you a unique opportunity to reach out to almost every adult listening group as everyone is concerned about their relationships. There is no other relationship advice show broadcast anywhere else in the USA. By advertising on Ask Dr. Love, your company can reach an audience that no other show touches. Visit AskDrLove.com and fill out the contact form to get in on this tremendous opportunity. Fill out the contact form at AskDrLove.com right now and get all the details. Will it be your company that gets to take advantage and grow your business? Want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call because the best prices are not online. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices. With the extra money you'll save, you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner. Call today and get the best price on your next flight, guaranteed. Also, save up to 50% off business and first-class tickets. You're listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. If your heart is still hurting over the bodily loss of your loved one, the reason is simple. 
We're not meant to be separated from those we love, and reconnecting is the only way to end the grief. But reconnecting and staying connected requires guidance. As a gift to her listeners, Dr. Turndorf is offering a limited number of discounted grief relief sessions to help you reestablish a relationship with loved ones in spirit and resolve any unfinished issues. If you're ready to experience the healing and joy of reconnecting, visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to schedule your session. But don't wait. Space is limited. Visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to find out more. And now, back to Dr. Turndorf. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Love. We're talking with Dr. Sabine Hazan, the shitologist. <laughs> and be- I, love- I love that moniker. It's adorable. It's like, you. It's like cut the shit. We're coming, we're coming right down to it. So, um. Someone said to me, I don't take shit. So I said, yeah, don't take shit. My grandma Ruth used to say to me, Jamie, take shit from no one. You know, and it's funny. The language that we use really describes the link between the mood and the microbiome. You know, it's like the French say, tu me fais chier. You make me shit. You know, it's like you piss, you bug the shit out of me. So we, we know that there's a big link between our mood and what happens in our microbiome. Which do you think comes first? The negative thoughts, the negative emotions, and the dysbiosis? Or uh, the dysbiosis puts us in a bad mood or is it just a negative feedback loop? I, you know, I don't know at this point. It's too early. I think it's, uh, you know. I, I have to talk but, to you later in the game, right? Yeah, later in the game when I have data on anxiety, actually. We're coming out with a paper on anxiety and the microbiome. Wait, I'm anxiously awaiting these results. Exactly. So, you know, do you want, basically, is anxiety a microbe? Is it a group of microbe? What's causing anxiety? You certainly know, like, people that are, you know, that are gassy, bloated, constipated are miserable, right? And I think that stems from your gut, right? So, and they'll tell you. I mean, I've been a GI doctor for too many years that my patients come in and they're like, I'm so bloated, I can't even think about anything. And, you know, so I think mood um, is... GI symptoms are correlate with your mood, you know? Definitely. And you just, we don't even know which comes first, the chicken or the egg, you know? I, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, up to a point, I think we could probably say, look, we kill, you kill your microbiome, you've lost the microbes and therefore you're starting to get bloated. And then that creates the ba- brain gut access. I mean, in my opinion and my research anyways, Everything starts in the gut, but you know, you talk to a neurologist and they think everything starts in the brain. No, but I mean, it's very, there's no doubt that you can get yourself so worked up and you can go, you know, gray yes. overnight. So, I mean, you could be so stressed it, out that you could screw your Look at relationships between husband and wife, right? When you are into a fight or upset at your husband, you know, it's not working well in there, right? Because you've kind of like got yourself into a mood and, all of a sudden, you're starting to have GI problems. So again, which comes first? Maybe that triggered that, right? You look right. at spouses that have lost, you know, you lose a spouse. And I remember in med school, they used to say loss of a spouse is the biggest stressor in a person. And I was a kid back then. So I was like, it would make sense that it would be loss of parents. But then as you get married, you start realizing, yes, loss of a spouse. You've been with them for so long, etc. So, you know, what does that do to the other spouse, right? And if you look at the data... You could see that, you know, usually when one spouse, when one person from the marriage dies, the other one 
six months later ends up dying. So you wonder, you know, that, that compatibility of the microbiome between even husband and wife. The first thing I did when I tested the microbiome was test my family and notice that actually I was very similar to my husband. And my husband and I, we kind of look similar. Like when we first got married, people thought we were like, you know, related. Uh, but then as we get married, as we've been married almost 30 years now, it's going to be 30 years in December, we speak the, the same way. We So you wonder you know, if, you know how they say when you're together for a long time, the you look like your spouse. So you're wondering if you somehow come in harmony with each other and your, your microbiome starts to match. Maybe. Or- or whether you guys, they, I think they say when you meet someone and you feel that instant connection that people who are happily married have like a, a distant cousin in right. their, their, gen, their genetic makeup is matching right. like as if they were distant cousins. So maybe you do have more similar. Maybe like, those butterflies in the stomach when you meet a guy, you know, is telling you something. I don't know. I mean, it's like your all, shit aligns with we're going, we're, we're going off the research path, but you know, I think yeah, it's yeah, kind of yeah. fun to, you know, and another thing I, I came across, I was just thinking about this the other day and I started looking into it about the drugs that people consume and the chemicals that they take. People don't think about this, like polysorbate 80 and CMC, they increase the pro- pro-inflammatory response and they lead to intestinal inflammation and those proton protein proton pump inhibitor drugs lowering the stomach acid and they're notorious right for causing yes so but then again look at the behavior right so which came first the chicken or the egg again right the behavior you start right. behavior of drinking alcohol of drinking coffee of eating 12 donuts of gaining weight you start a disease process of reflux and then you need medications and then the medications do something else. So it's it's a constant roller coaster. But I think it starts with the behavior. So I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm not. I'm on the extreme end of the spectrum. You know, <laughs> you can't go by me. But you know, and then people don't think about the anti nutrients in the food. You know, from the unsoaked grains and nuts and legumes, you know, the lectins, the phytates, the oxalates, uh, the high omega-6 diet that people eat everywhere, right. you know, canola right. and the seed oils. These things have to, besides being so pro-inflammatory, they tear the gut up. So, right. I mean, now we're coming to but the again, question. If you, you know, if you have a resilient gut yeah. of resilient microbes, yeah. all these don't affect the gut. You know, really? Okay. And I think, I think that's the one thing we've learned from COVID is there is such a thing as a resilient microbiome. And that is resilient. We don't know if that's synonymous with diversity. We don't know that. No, no. It may be just one microbe. That's just like super strong that allows that person to just stay living and regardless if you give them antibiotics, regardless if you give them- We're going to have to check this out for me. We're going to see if I have like this, like superwoman, <laughs> because, you know, well, I'll have to let you check my shit out, you know. <laughs> no problem. It'll be forensics. And then we'll have to look at all the super women and start looking if there's a correlation. So that's what I do, right? I look at traits. I look at you know, the vegan, what do they have in common? I try to pick the same similar population. That's very important, right? For your Vegetarian, the carnivore. Because again, some people do amazing on vegan diet and some people do amazing on carnivore diet. Yeah. Somewhere in there is the truth for you 
doesn't necessarily mean that it's one or the other. It's somewhere in the gray zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk for a second about SIBO, which is so epidemic now, the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Do you consider that just synonymous with a microbiome dysbiosis? Yeah, I think it's a microbiome dysbiosis. I think, you know, there's some amazing data from uh, Dr. Ali Razai and Dr. Mark Pimentel at Cedar sinai So I encourage everybody to look at their data and follow them on Twitter. They're amazing. Yeah. They've been doing a lot of work on that. Um, we're going to start looking at SIBO with a capsule where you swallow the capsule and it takes a sample of the small bowel. And we're going to start doing, you know, our own sequencing of that microbiome in in, uh, in that. In the SIBO stuff. Yeah, in the SIBO. You know, but I mean, I it's, on my, it's on my list of things to do. Yeah, so. really. You can't sleep. So here's the thought that I had, you know, the, the bad bugs, right, and their acid byproducts and the putrefaction. Um, especially in the methane-dominant SIBO, SIBO, which causes slower motility, which more putrefaction, right? More acid byproducts, more SIBO. Then it chews up the lining, and now you've got leaky gut and intestinal permeability. So I always found that it's like a, a double, you know, like a catch-22. You can't fix the bugs because the lining is chewed up, and you can't fix the chewed-up lining because of the bugs. So does fecal implantation possibly show promise for repairing leaky gut? Um, well, you know, I think it's showed uh, promise with C. diff. Definitely we've seen it, you know, with, uh, you know, my own experience, you know, 92 to 95% success with C. diff from fecal transplant. Now, when we get into leaky gut for, you know, causing Crohn's disease, inflammatory bowel disease, autism, um, you know, neurological problems, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, et cetera, it's a little bit more complex because I think at this point, we really have to identify the microbes that are responsible and not just, you know, put stools in there. But you never know. I mean, the super microbiome, the super donor could have an effect on these people and therefore, you know, could be a game changer it's all about the donor, in my opinion, and, and selection, donor selection, and who's doing now, it. Now, speaking of donor selection, I read that you said that there's great similarity among family members and that you often prefer to use family members as donors. But if, if there's similarity, then how do you get a good shit transplant from the same family member who has the similar... That's a very good question. And that was actually one of the criticism um, when I embarked on fe familial fecal transplant with autism, because actually the person I, I that guided me through this um, to do this was Dr. Feingold. And actually his spirit is, you know, around my office, all his books I have in my office and his frames. And so he was the, the physician who wrote anaerobic infections, right? So he started looking at autism. He was the one that started giving vancomycin to kids with autism and noticed that kids started improving. And then he joined up with Dr. Brody and they started thinking about fecal transplant in autistic kids, which then that study ended up becoming Dr. Adams and Dr. Adams showed that data. So Dr. Feingold always believed that you should not pick kids because most likely the, within the family, exactly that situation, right? The families have um, microbes that are, you know, are similar. And therefore, if one kid has autism, am I giving the microbiome of another kid, of the sibling, 
that also carries the same microbes as the kid with autism. So I'm not going to really accomplish much, right? So for for there's for those population, that population of an independent donor that's not in the family would be better. Um, I kind of felt that if you I if you do forensic medicine of the gut, which is really what I do. And you look at the microbiome of the kid and you analyze the donor and, and the sibling is perfectly healthy and she doesn't have those microbes you've identified in the autistic child, maybe that's the better solution, right? So what I did is I did I took a sister who was amazing diversity, healthy, um, and the brother we identified, he had a lot of proteobacteria, which is a bad phylum to have and a lot of uh, bacteria called Lactobacillus animalis. So what happened was when we discovered that, we said, well, maybe if we give the fecal transplant in um, of the sister to the brother, maybe the brother will come back, right? Will come out. And actually the, the paper is gonna be published. We presented it in October at the American College of Gastro. We did see a change in the microbiome. He actually matched his sister there was implantation engraftment that occurred and it was sustained engraftment for 15 months. But on a clinical picture, he started saying words. He started paying attention. He was not aggressive. You know, he was sleeping better. Um, you know, he went to prom with a girl two weeks ago. So these are amazing changes for a kid that the family had no hope because he kept banging his head and breaking his teeth every time. And that's how he came to me. And so, you know, I, I have to be careful. This case was done with the FDA holding my hand and approving the protocol, right? This was not a one, this was not, hey, come into my office, I'm gonna do fecal transplant on you, or let's go somewhere and do fecal transplant. And by the way, I've had that temptation multiple times to just go, you know, get a shuttle in space and start doing fecal transplant on these kids. Cause I just saw one kid and I'm dying to do more kids. Right. But I want to work with the FDA so that we could show the data for everybody. Right. So, so for that case, for that kid with that perfect microbiome in the sister, to me, that was the best donor and that worked. Now you're right. There are other kids that I look at the family portrait and I see similar microbes. And then when you start taking a, a history of the other kid, you could start seeing that they are themselves on the spectrum. You know, they're just approaching, they're just not there. So I think it would not be beneficial to use those kids as donors. And then the other big thing is there is a, a category of kids that it may not be in the microbiome. You know, remember Dr. Adam's study had some kids that did not respond. So are those kids having a problem in the gut brain, the connection, right? The vagus nerve, or are they having, or the nerves, the, the you know, or the brain itself? Did the kid have a, suffer a brain trauma that we don't know of? Or did they have a, a, you know, something in the brain that's causing that? So I think it's important to look at every aspect, you know, even stem cells, are they having problems, right? So if you look at the data, there's so many ways to kind of look at autism that it's just not a one shot. I think, you know, it can be stem cells. It could be neurological fixing but the brain. You, you haven't yet gotten to the point in your research where you're, you're able to identify 
the particular uh, bacterial strain that's associated with Alzheimer's or asthma or diabetes, and by consequence, which one? All we have identified is when you achieve an improvement or cure or an improvement, in like this case, is you see the before and after, and we identify that one, right? But you have to achieve an improvement. Think right. about, you know, uh, COVID, treating COVID, we identified COVID in the stools. And then we identified that when we treated with COVID, when we treated COVID, COVID disappeared in the stools, but also the microbiome played a, a huge part of it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. You know, and so I think this is where, you know, science needs to be done and done right. And I think we, listen, as long as, and, and by done right is I think we should allow all science to be done and everybody has a hypothesis. That's, you know, to stop the progress because somebody's doing it this way. You know, I'm friends with Dr. Adams and, you know, even though my protocol is more familial with autism, I strongly support his protocol because there are kids that you're not going to find donors. So I want to see his protocol working. And I even support other protocols. Think about the protocols that are coming out with biologics, you know, on clinicaltrials.gov, there's going to be protocols with biologics coming out with autism. There's going to be protocols with stem cell. I support all protocols as long as you achieve improvement because that's what matters at the end. It's not Dr. Eason is right or Dr. Adams is right. It's did we achieve improvement? See, that's what comes through. You come through loud and clear for me. You're, you're really um, a healer. You want to help those who are suffering. And that is what motivates you in all your research. It, your heart comes through to me. I, you know, I, have a, I, I feel, you know, privileged of my life. And I want to give back. You know, I'm at the stage of my life where I've done a lot. I've achieved a lot. And, you know, it's my turn to give back. And I feel, I feel sorry for the people that are less privileged, right, that are born with a congenital problem, that are born with a neurological problem. I feel sorry for the people that acquired the neurological problems, people that, you know, did something to their bodies and then all of a sudden have either a mental illness or a neurological problem or Crohn's or cancer. I feel bad for all those people. We don't have all the answers. And Not yet. We, I hate to take a break. You're the only guest I can say this to. Let's just take a quick <laughs> break. We'll be back in a moment. Are you a business looking to expand across the USA? Ask Dr. Love reaches millions of radio listeners, offering you a unique opportunity to reach out to almost every adult listening group as everyone is concerned about their relationships. There is no other relationship advice show broadcast anywhere else in the USA. By advertising on Ask Dr. Love, your company can reach an audience that no other show touches. Visit AskDrLove.com and fill out the contact form to get in on this tremendous opportunity. Fill out the contact form at AskDrLove.com right now and get all the details. Will it be your company that gets to take advantage and grow your business? Want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call because the best prices are not online. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices. With the extra money you'll save, you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner. 
Call today and get the best price on your next flight. Guaranteed. Also, save up to 50% off business and first class tickets. You're listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. If your heart is still hurting over the bodily loss of your loved one, the reason is simple. We're not meant to be separated from those we love, and reconnecting is the only way to end the grief. But reconnecting and staying connected requires guidance. As a gift to her listeners, Dr. Turndorf is offering a limited number of discounted grief relief sessions to help you reestablish a relationship with loved ones in spirit and resolve any unfinished issues. If you're ready to experience the healing and joy of reconnecting, visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to schedule your session. But don't wait. Space is limited. Visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to find out more. And now, back to Dr. Turndorf. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Love. I'm Dr. Jamie Turndorf talking with Dr. Sabine Hazan, the shitologist. You know, I had like a million things I wanted to run by you because you could, I mean, I'm, this whole topic is one that I've researched and studied so much. Fasting intermittent fasting, water fasting. I'm reading, you know, and I've, you know, I've done extreme fasting, right? Um, weeks. I did once a 10 month green juice fast, like insane, no food only to find out that if you have hyperoxaluria, it's a disaster because all the juices raise, but you know, it's, you live and learn. So I'm seeing these studies that, um, when you do fa- intermittent fasting, the, your microbiome increases its taxonomic diversity and microbial remodeling happening happens. And then a particular anaerobic bacteria called lac- Lachnospirocea flourishes. So yeah. what do you think about all this? I mean, again, that's, uh, you know, that's somebody needs to reproduce all that data. Um, you know, from the data that I've seen of intermittent fasting, it increases bifidobacteria. Which we uh, want, right? Thing. Listen, intermittent fasting works. People feel great. They're losing weight. Uh, it's natural. They're, they don't have to take anything in their body. It's not expensive. And you actually, you know, are decreasing your weight. Um and you then know, lower weight improves the microbiome diversity, right? And loss of weight makes you more energetic, makes you happier, more confident. You're out and about, you're fitting in your dress, you're fitting in your pants, you know? So I think all around, you know, we tend to treat things with one dimension, but I think we need to look at the whole person, that's right? A, that's so wise. What and about coffee enemas and the microbiome? Uh, there's no data that I've seen that it's good for you. Uh, people love them, but my concern is you need to keep getting them and that anything that you keep getting an enema to feel better may not be a solution. And then what is it doing to your microbiome? That's what I was wondering. Anybody that's doing enemas on a regular basis and wants to test with us, please call me. I would be glad to look at that data before and after to see that would be interesting, right? Yes. Because, you know, because it's sort of like a workaround. The way I see it is if you have um, difficulties with uh, glutathione production or compromised detox pathways in the liver, it's kind of like a dialysis if you want. But um, what about uh, people with detox problems, methylation issues, like a genetic detox issue? Would a, would a poop transplant help such too a early to know too we early. don't know 
See, I'm gonna kill you. You're gonna just gonna you're just gonna have to keep coming back with all your. I'm gonna have to keep coming back every time I have a new paper or there's a paper, and I will have to come back, right? Yeah, and I can connect you with other doctors that are doing fecal transplant. Dr. Alex Karudz, Dr. Neil Stallman, they'd love to talk to you about all that. Uh, Colleen Kelly, Um, you know, because I think that's that's the future, right? We need to hear from more doctors, not just Sabine Hazen. So I think that's. yeah, ask their opinion. They'll tell you. They'll tell you their experience. But all yeah. I can say right now is a couple of experiences here and there on fecal transplant on the microbiome. And all we can say is we're still early. We so early to do the research. It's very costly to do these research. You know, this one case of autism ended up costing over three hundred thousand dollars that I had to spend out of my savings to see the data. And of course, the family did. You know, we didn't do a GoFundMe, etc. But, you know, we can't do that for every kid and every parents, right? So we have to we have to have the help of people to help us. So, you know, donate to the foundation, the Microbiome Research Foundation. You know, Dr. Alex Karuz, who started the whole fecal bank, uh, is also has a, a foundation, Achieving Cures Together. And, you know, I encourage people to go to these two foundations and start helping because... We really need to have funds to be able to do what we want to do, right? To be, because this is not a pharmaceutical product, right? If I, my protocol is not a pharmaceutical product. It's not familial FMT is you take a a family member. There's no product behind it, right? But if there is something to it and it could help in the future, why not, right? Um, Same thing, precision medicine requires, you know, ethical doctors to be behind it and to look at these donors carefully. Um, you know, the whole idea, as much as I'm excited about all these pills, you know, products from pharma, I just feel that there's both of them need to collaborate together. So let's, let's, because I know I want to have, make sure everybody knows how to get in touch with you to join your studies, uh, to donate to your foundation. But one thing I, I know people, you know, this is a natural reaction. Um, ew, gross, you know, uh, you, you, how do you clean the poop? You know, how do you not give me worse shit in the end? No pun intended. Yeah, so we have those discussions with the patients. We show them the what we see in the microbiome and we show them what we're going to give them and why I believe this is the better microbiome for them. Uh, so we have all these discussions, right? This is patient doctor relationship. But how can you and be sure point, you're not introducing something that's you're right? Yeah, and that's part of the informed consent. So when we do these procedures, we have a 27-page document that was written by a lawyer and was reviewed by a regulatory board. So that's where the cost is, right? You have to hire an attorney, you have to hire a regulatory board, you have to submit it to the FDA, you have to go through the portal. You have to have a coordinator that makes sure you're doing everything by the book. Which, which portal are we going through now? <laughs> portal to the FDA, which is, you know, portal not, the, not the poop shoot portal, right? No, no, no. But yes, the, the disgust factor was definitely there. Uh, you know, there. I held off for a lot of years to doing it. I've known about fecal transplant for at least 25 years, um, you know, but I held off until... You know, I had a doctor friend of mine who basically had C. diff and I had to do it. So, and you helped him. Yes. It's wonderful. So, tell everybody how to get in touch with you, how to join any studies that you're doing, how to uh, 
contribute because so I really, really believe in what you're doing. Yes. Thank you. So it's progenabiome.com. They go progenabiome.com and they can register and they'll get on top of all our publications. And then from there, um, uh, microbiomeresearchfoundation.org. Is okay, the- let me... Let me put this into the chat, and it's also going to be on your web page. But you know, I I sent your uh, publicist, my team sent your publicist a promo graphic. In the promo graphic, there's a link to your dedicated show page. We're going to keep your page up forever. On your show page are all the links. But uh, to your okay, so progenobiome.com and uh, microbiomeresearchfoundation.org. Microbiome research foundation.org here i sent it through the chat perfect okay perfect so you know it's really been great having you on thank the show you. thank you for having me and uh till next time till we talk more shit yeah we're gonna just keep the sh- keep keep it flowing right more shit. Hey, yes. is there anything you'd like to leave everyone with in the last minute of the show no this is promising you know this is hopeful research and hopefully we can you know crack the code on the microbiome so together we can do it together and See, uh, there's so many double entendres i think about the crack and you know and the poor oh, no, yeah you know. for sure <laughs> well i'm a gi doctor so to me everything is cracks right everything is cracks and you're trying to fill in the cracks and yeah and that's part that's part of the reason i wrote the book and i called it let's talk shit is really to kind of um make a, a serious topic a little bit more humorous right and that's good and it, i really respect how down to earth you are Yet you're a very rigorous scientist. Thank it's a you. wonderful combination. So you. we'll keep in touch, I'm sure. And you just, you know, you my portal to you is open. So anytime you want to report so any much. new research or exciting findings, you'll just come back. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on the show. See you Bye. next time. You've been listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. Sign up for Dr. Jamie's newsletter at askdrlove.com and receive her meditation audio that will guide you to open your heart and chill out during these stressful times. Thank you.